a Podcast One production. Can you squeeze it up, please? Because I don't know. No, because I don't really like squeezy packs. You, you tell me you do you do like squeezy packs. But I don't. I did used to like them, but I don't anymore because they're quite bad for the environment. Because they're single-use plastics. You only use them once, and then you have to throw them in the bin. You can't recycle. Oh. Don't you think that's bad? No, my sister loves squeeze. No, she doesn't actually. She can't have them. She's a zero waste baby. Oh no! Don't give it to her. It's only you, Lila, that can have plastic because it was a lost cause. I already stuffed that up. This is zero waste baby. Zero waste baby. I'm Veronica Milsom. I used to be a full-time radio host and part-time comedian, but now this environmental crisis has turned me into a part-time podcaster and full-time eco-warrior, I think. Let me catch you up. Ten weeks ago, two very big events happened in my life. I had my second baby, Zoe, and I decided to become a zero-waste parent. Both equally momentous, I think you'll agree. And so far, it's going pretty well. But I do find myself still lusting after wet wipes. The other day I saw a KFC refresher towel on the ground. I just wanted to rip it open and rub it all over myself. And maybe I acted on that impulse. Maybe I didn't. You'll never know. So the next step in my quest to zero waste babydom is trying to figure out how to feed Zoe for the first three months of her life and beyond without creating any extra waste. And with everything coming in squeezy packs and single-use plastics as soon as your baby starts eating real food, I think it's going to be really tough. But for now, because Zoe's still a newborn and I'm able to breastfeed, breast milk direct from the nip seems like the most obvious low-waste option for feeding her. And expressing, of course. Which, before I had my first baby, I thought milking myself like a cow would be easier and more fun than it is. I empathise with farmers now. It's actually quite boring, tiring and sometimes frustrating. It's five o'clock in the morning and it's raining outside. I have one boob exposed out of my jammies and everyone else in the house is asleep. I can't stop thinking that, you know, the expression about crying over spilt milk, like I, it's never been truer, more true, whatever. If someone spills this milk, I will definitely cry. <laughs> uh, Thankfully, breastfeeding has come pretty easily for Zoe. But I know that this isn't the case for all women and they need to opt for formula or powdered milk. But on this mission, if I couldn't make breast milk, I would have just had to buy it from someone else on the black market, which I researched and apparently it costs $500 a litre, which initially I thought was an outrage. But now that I know I can make it, the unemployed part of me is thinking it could be a lucrative racket to jump on board. Milk that cash cow, baby! There is so much to learn about the shady dealings of the baby underworld. Bootleg placentas and now breast milk. Not enough people know about these things, so I'm determined to spread the word. Dad, did you know that you can buy breast milk on the black market? I haven't been looking for it, no. (laughs) That's my dad, Big Mill. He's the Aussiest bloke you'll ever meet, so I love running the latest steps of my zero-waste adventure past him just to get his thoughts. Um, Do you remember there being much wasteful packaging with baby food with us growing up? Um, I think we made a lot of the baby food. You know, we'd 
mush up meat and potatoes and stuff. We didn't have tubes of stuff that you guys have got nowadays to just go and buy it off the shelf and just squish it into their gob. We actually made yeah. the bulk of it. We had jars of things, apples and custard and stuff, but we didn't buy much of that. We didn't have much money, so we just made it ourselves. Were you really feeding us much custard as babies? That feels like an excuse for you to just eat and make custard. I, I do enjoy a, a couple of buckets of custard every now and then, yes. <laughs> OK, you avoided answering the actual question, which concerns me. But it is true that Big Mill loves custard. He also really loves jelly, has it every night as a dessert. Strangely, both of those foods are common to infants, which makes sense, I guess, because Big Mill at his core is just a big baby, a big old 69-year-old hairy baby. Anyway, with all this decadent homemade mush eating, I do wonder how long they relied on feeding me breast milk for. Um, how, how long was I breastfed for? Do you know? Uh, I think you did the full 12 months. I didn't commit it to memory, to be honest. Did you ever have to do that thing that Nick had to do to me when I was at the hospital where you had to, like, um, milk your partner's um, nipple because um, they were so tired? It sounds like a Nick trick rather than a real thing, but anyway. <laughs> um, no, I didn't. I, I, the closest I came was your mother had chafed chapped nipples with Kiri. And I drove from one end of Geelong to the other going to every single nursing mother person on the list to see if I could find one of those nipple shields which I described as a Mexican hat. <laughs> and I finally got one. I couldn't, couldn't believe my luck but I came home with one. Yeah. <laughs> That's mm. right. It does. It's like a silicon little nipple hat. You're quite right. Mm. <laughs> I mean, sure, he could have just bought one at the 24-hour pharmacy but I guess it was a good waste reduction method even if it did mean four nipples had to share the same sombrero. OK, so my mum breastfed me for 12 months and apparently, surprisingly, the World Health Organisation recommends doing it for two years and that would save heaps of baby food waste. But some mums do it even longer, like much, much longer. Like Byron Bay mum Maha Al Musa, who breastfed her daughter for eight and a half years till she was in grade four. Apparently, I'm quite unique. There are not many women in the world that have done what I've done at this age. Maha really is very unique. She's got an exciting energy. I initially came across her on YouTube, where in a yellow sarong in the middle of labour and super sensually, she was belly dancing through her labour, through contractions. Oh, and side note, she was 46 at the time of this pregnancy. Maha's a childbirth educator and teaches belly dance birth and extended breastfeeding. I'm in the middle of breastfeeding at the moment and I can't imagine doing what you did, which was for eight and a half years with your daughter. You were 54 by the time she self-weaned. And so for the purposes of my podcast, that is an incredible lot of uh, waste that you avoided. But did you intend to breastfeed for that long or would you, were you just going off the responses of your daughter? I thought, well, I'm having a baby at 46. That's an incredible feat. Natural conception, natural pregnancy, natural birth. Let's go. Natural feeding. So that was kind of the intention behind it. And I didn't know, was she going to stop feeding at eight months, five years, nine years, you know, maybe one week? I just didn't know. So I was in allowance of whatever she chose. And Maha reckons that in the Western world, 
Baby raising has become such a money-making racket that parents are actively discouraged from trusting their own instincts and using what's naturally available to them. I think that our society has forgotten what nature intends for us as mothers with our babies and children and is always trying to sever us from our instincts and our knowing because there's money in that. Mm. So in no waste, there is no product to buy because I have it all inside of me. Can you think of other circumstances with raising a baby where um, like a product is introduced where a mother could do it by herself? Well, even, you know, fancy prams and high chairs Mm. and, you know, all of these things that we know we don't really need, a baby bath. Yes, there's an option. These are options we can choose, but they're not must-haves. Yeah. So we've complicated a simple, natural way of caring for our children. It's become a materialistic world. And Maha says she cops a lot of flack for her take on mothering and extended breastfeeding. But she says it's only because society's sexualized the boob, which is very true. And so people feel strange seeing an exposed boob, even when they're just doing their job, you know, breastfeeding. And Maha experienced this firsthand in a Byron Bay pregnancy support group of all places. This is a funny story, Veronica, because one of the groups with the pregnant mums was about expressing milk. And the woman, Doula, who was teaching, you know, she had a book and she was saying, this is how you express milk. And she's showing all the pages of the book, all of the instructions. And at that time, my daughter was about three. And I said, excuse me, I'm sorry, but can I just intervene here? (laughs) And we'd all been drinking tea and my teacup was there. And I picked up my teacup. I pulled my breast out, completely, fully exposed. And I started to show expressing milk. And I was draining the milk out, pressing my thumbs down from the top into the nipple and the milk was filling up in the cup. And I looked up and there was absolute silence and the women were just staring at me in shock. To be honest, I probably would have been in shock too. I sort of am right now. And then when I got over my shock, I would have just been trying to find a way to steal the cup and sell it on the black market. Heck, that's worth a lot of money. Maha's giving me a lot to think about. And while I don't reckon breastfeeding my kid till they're in primary school is for me, it does seem like a great zero-waste after-school snack. Before she leaves, I decide to ask Maha what she did with her placenta post-birth. Something tells me it'll probably be even more exciting than a placosage roll. I actually um, ate a little bit of raw placenta after my daughter was born. Okay. You know, it's that little piece that you just sort of put under your tongue and suck on. (gasps) Suck on. Oh, man. Okay. You're very brave. Maha just makes motherhood and birth sound so powerful and beautiful. And it's having an unexpected effect on me. I almost feel like this was like a pep talk. I feel like having a third child. (laughs) Yes, many women do. They say, oh, I want to have another baby just to experience this, you know? (laughs) A baby's not just for Christmas. (laughs) Well, except for baby Jesus who most of us don't think about except for at Christmas. Okay, so I've had a think about it, and I reckon I'll breastfeed for as long as possible, but probably not eight and a half years. Sorry, Zoe. I want to start planning ahead for what environmentally friendly food I can feed her. So on the advice of literally every second person in the low-waste world, I turn to author Alex Stewart for advice. So Alex is the founder of Low Tox Life, a community who want to make better choices for their health and our planet. And it turns out we have more in common than just trying to save the planet. 
we also have similarly beautiful hair, which is not a coincidence. Firstly, uh, after I started reading your book, uh, I changed hairdressers and my hairdresser used to do your hair, which was an exciting thing to, that I learned. Oh, how awesome. She has your book there. So I um, was fully uh, on top of it. I was like, oh, I'm reading this book. And she was like, I did Alex's hair. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't know if you're across this idea that I'm doing, Alex. Basically, I'm trying to have a zero waste baby. So um, my baby now is like two months old and I'm trying to... Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's a hectic time. You might hear her cry at some point. Uh, there she goes. Um, and I'm, tr- I'm trying to um, raise her using no plastic and just reuse reusable things. Uh, do you think this, this is a crazy mission, first of all? It's so exciting when you realise it's not just about buying everything different Uh, it's actually just about doing everything different. And part of that is realising we just don't need that much stuff. And newest, latest, greatest was how they used to hook us and now it's just not relevant anymore. Just like me, it was during Alex's pregnancy that her view of the world changed and she started to think about being friendlier to the environment while raising her child. But it turns out she'd planned much further ahead than I did when it came to feeding her baby. So when Seb was born, we started planting the garden ready for solids um, because we were on a single income, we were brand new parents, money was a bit tight and we thought if we could grow some of the food, then that would help us save some cash. And I definitely wanted Seb to be organic when he was starting out. So it wasn't even my plan for him to stay organic, poor little guy. I'm like, oh yeah, you'll you'll get to this point where you're old enough to eat pesticides. I mean, what does that even mean? Where is the logic in that, right? Um, And it was so funny because, of course, I made these loving purees, beautiful squashes, zucchinis, gorgeous sweet potato zucchini combos and things. And then I thought, I don't want to stop feeding him this way. Um, And I want to start eating this way. And so just like you've experienced... Thanks to Seb, we switched up all our food and went organic Hmm. as well. Oh, no, I've come to her for some easy feeding tips and she's going to suggest that on top of everything else I start farming my food. Next thing I'll be totally self-sustainable, living off the grid and avoiding buttons like the Amish. Seriously, this podcast is endangering my sanity while it tries to save the earth. So I ask, reluctantly, hopefully. So you don't grow all your own food though, do you? No, no, you buy organic. Uh, yeah, buy organic. I mean, I know I could attempt to grow veggies in a pot to teach Lila about growing organic food and loosen her seagull-like attachment to those damn squeezy packs, but I don't want to spend months growing a single zucchini to see it squished into the carpet and hiding in the crevices of my baby's neck fat. Surely there's got to be something that acts like a squeezy pack but is reusable and allows you to store your food in it. So I ask my eco-friend mum, Jessie, knowing full well she will have found a solution, and of course she has. We bought these really good, reusable, easy clean-out food bottles that you can put, like, yoghurt or, like, chunky porridge, any kind of mush, any kind of, like, puree sort of thing in. And um, they're much less messy than those food pouches too because they're, like, they have a hard case, so you can't just squeeze them and, like, squeeze shit everywhere. She saw it on reality TV of all places and quickly got one even before she had a baby. Typical organised Jessie. 
This seems like exactly the type of ingenious invention I'm looking for. So I watch Shark Tank for the least amount of time possible to find out who they are, and I track down the inventors. Turns out they live in a lovely house in Doncaster in Melbourne's northeast. How do, how do you start an intro? <laughs> with your name, probably. Hi, my name's Julianne and my, with my husband, Glenn. Um, we are the inventors and owners of Subo the Food Bottle, saving landfill and the wasteful of the squeezy pouches. That, can I start that again? <laughs> It's hard to do. This is okay. So this is what we struggled with the Shark Tank as well. <laughs> They're not your average slick reality TV show-offs. They're two people who had a good idea about how to help parents while helping the Earth, and they seem very much in sync. Or maybe I just think that because weirdly they're wearing exactly the same T-shirt, like not a Subo brand T-shirt, just a random T-shirt. <laughs> we've we've got matching tops yeah, on. We just realised. Okay, that was my first question. Do you guys always wear matching outfits? <laughs> no, we don't. You can tell who does the shopping, you? though. <laughs> <laughs> no way. So, Julianne, when you go shopping, do you just buy his and hers of everything? No, no. I I think I bought it for you, and I'm like, oh, I like that, and I found it in the women's. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cute. Anyway. Julianne and Glenn became more environmentally conscious and obsessed with mushy food snacks after they had kids. And that's when they noticed a gap in the baby food packaging market. Yeah, those squeezy packs, like, yes, they're really handy, um, but also there's about a billion of those that go into landfill every year, those squeezy pouches. So it's a huge environmental footprint that, you know, you're adding to. Um, so definitely that's something that has been a focus in, especially pre-kids, probably not so much, but as soon as the kids came in, you realise how much waste from nappies and food and um, packaging on um, snacks and things, how much goes into landfill. What I know so far is that it's a suction-based, non-squeezable food bottle. It's called Subo, and the idea came to Julianne where all the best ideas happen. I was in the shower one night and I looked across at a toothpaste container. I'm like, oh, I wonder if I could make a feeding tube out of that. And then I came out of the shower and I said to Glenn, can you hacksaw this and duct tape that? And we did a sort of a little mini prototype on the kitchen table and, yeah, it it honestly worked straight away. So then I went and bought half a dozen toothpaste containers and made more and then friends started wanting them and, (laughs) um, yeah, and then we're like, well, maybe we should commercialise this. Okay, thought one, what happened to all the toothpaste? Did they squeeze it into a jar and now they dip their toothbrushes into a jar and there's some at the bottom they can't get out and they'll just have to spoon it into a Subo tube? Thought two, I need to start using my shower time more productively. At the moment, I mostly just stand there for ages thinking about things to say in this podcast, like this right now. I thought of saying this about this in the shower yesterday. So to me, this Subo food duvawacky is sounding excellent and like the perfect solution for ditching single-use plastics while saving my precious homemade baby food mush. So I'm kind of surprised to learn it has any critics, but it does. Like my professional foodie mate and elimination communication advocate, Alice Zaslavsky. I don't know how they went on Shark Tank, but I wouldn't have turned my seat. <laughs> I love that. It's definitely not a seat-turning thing. <laughs> I love that you think it is. <laughs> And in in fact, if you had have turned your seat, everyone would have been like, what? Why has she got a wheelie seat? (laughs) That's so weird. Why is she facing away from the pictures? (laughs) Turns out Alice isn't a huge fan of reality TV, which is weird considering she was a MasterChef contestant. But what she is a big fan of is food. And her problem is not actually with Subo in particular, 
but with the idea of squeezy packs in general and how she reckons it might affect a kid's development. So the process of mastication is really important, you know, learning to chew is really important for kids because it shapes the, you know, forms the shape of their mouth and their, and their soft palate. With all due respect to the inventors of that, I think that there are a lot of studies that are showing that, that the sucking motion that, that kids are being taught, you know, sippy cups and um, those little sucky snack tubes and all of those things are affecting the development of the child's palate. She reckons the other bad thing about squeezy sucking devices is that they don't teach kids the right messages about food. You know, even the notion of snacking and being on the go and feeding in the back seat of the car, just think about what messaging that, that's teaching kids in terms of when they eat and what function food form performs for them. Food is not just fuel. Food is about connection and enjoyment and nourishment. I see what she's saying, but I still reckon I'll use one occasionally because it'll save me a lot of waste. Everything in moderation, right? And then, when Zoe is old enough to eat non-mushed food, I'll get her to eat some nutritious organic food in a way that involves some actual chewing. In fact, Maha had some great low-waste, low-cost solutions for how to transition a baby from being exclusively breastfed to trying real food. I can feed my baby with my fingers. I can chew up the food and pass it from mouth to mouth to my baby. You know, I can mix in some breast milk with my baby's first foods and feed them that way. Yes, sure. Hey, if regurgitating food into my baby's mouth like a mama bird means avoiding landfill entirely, I'm into it. Sign me up. Big Mill, what do you reckon? So you eat it and then just... Yeah. ...in your baby's mouth. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound like a good idea to me. Oh, God, OK. Party pooper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was an ingenious idea. So you're telling me you never fed us like a baby bird? Never. Never. Ever. Mm. Not once did I vomit into your mouth. (laughs) I guess we can be thankful for that. And you know what? I am thankful. Coming up next episode, you'll hear from a doctor who reckons the most zero-waste baby you can have would be no baby at all. He's described as the world's most famous vasectomist. And he sure has done a lot of them. So how many do you reckon you've done overall? About 45,000. And I always looked upon that goal of preventing unintended pregnancies as an environmental effort because you can recycle everything you can get your hands on for the rest of your life, but you can't possibly recycle as much as another unintended human will consume. Or you can reduce your carbon footprint by changing to all LEDs or hanging your clothes out to dry or trading in your Suburban for a Prius but you can't possibly decrease your carbon footprint by a factor equivalent to the carbon footprint of another unintended human. That's next week on Zero Waste Baby. And if you hit subscribe on this podcast, then you'll get a free notification every time I release a new episode. And while I still have you, if you liked it, please give it five stars and recommend it to a friend. If you didn't like it, don't say anything. Zero Waste Baby was written and presented by Veronica Milsom and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Script consultation and original music by James Milsom, my brother, editing assistance by Lindsay Green and audio production by Darcy Thompson. Jennifer Goggin was the executive producer. Also, she helped to write this. Also, she edited it. She did a lot of the things and she's put a gun to my head. She's making me say this. 